VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello, this is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. I'm Hugh Wizencroft. Lots to discuss today. We'll talk about how much we're enjoying Spurs as they stay at the top of the Premier League table. Also, taking a knee. It was booed by Millwall's fans. We'll get into the rights and wrongs of it. And in an age of VAR, how much should gamesmanship aka cheating be allowed Alison Rudd Matt Dickinson and Gregor Robertson how you doing how are you very well thank you you by discussing Tottenham Hotspur next because they're a great story in football let's be honest you know top of the league great team play well seem to have gelled not playing Tiki Taka, Jose Mourinho the manager everyone loves to hate on top of the table and everyone's loving life they beat Arsenal 2-0 in the North London derby as well. So it's a massive game for the club. Like I say, they stay top of the Premier League. But Alison Rudd, Jose Mourinho in particular, has caught your eye. Tell us about the romance currently uh, going on at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. I know why you're asking me that, Hugh. I wrote in the Times today that the real love affair was supposed to be when uh, Mika Arteta joined Arsenal Um you know, the man who played for the club, he left the side of Pep Guardiola a little too early to make the sacrifice to bring glory back to Arsenal, the man who understood the club. A month earlier, Jose Mourinho had, um, had joined Spurs and exactly the opposite vibe. Everyone, Spurs fans were groaning. They'd lost the love of their life in Maurizio Pochettino and they had a complete pragmatist in charge and they feared for what it might mean. I mean, I think a lot of a lot of fans were saying, we don't care if we win silverware. We, we, we care about the style in which we, we play. And I think what's happened is the true love affair now is, is at Tottenham because it's not boring to watch Spurs at all. I would pay money to watch the Kane Sons show. I think it's absolutely superb. I don't think any of the 2,000 fans who were at, at the stadium on Sunday would have not absolutely enjoyed watching Pierre-Emile Hoiberg do his stuff and make that team into something into something that could actually win something. He's, he's, he's probably the player of the season so far in terms of how he's single-handedly given grit to a midfield that could be very flaky. So I, I, I not, I've not canvassed every Spurs fan. I'm sure there are some who are remaining entrenched and they don't like the fact that it's lovely times um, at the old lane, and uh, it's it's not it's not, it's it's him doing it. But I think also there are glimpses of Jose Mourinho actually displaying genuine affection for the club. I'm sure he arrived there thinking, "Oh, I love this stadium. I love I love what I've inherited. I think I can do things because I believe in in my abilities." But the way he his posturing, the, his words, 
his his smiles the he he's acting like he's he's unless he's a blooming good actor he's behaving like he has fallen in love with the club too i don't think anyone foresaw it would go this beautifully for the pair of them the club and jose uh, he could be a really good actor who would play him in a movie george clooney someone like that you know maybe more of an iberian flavor i don't know anyway um he's doing very very well it doesn't seem like an act uh, i've all you know you know everyone remembers my hot take from the start of the season saying tottenham would be a top four team and and i truly believe it's because when a team is desperate for trophies someone like jose Mourinho, someone that you can look to as, as sort of the guru the emperor the king um he he thrives in that sort of environment and at clubs where um trophies have been the norm people see him as less of a guru and uh, he, he's find it a little bit harder so I, I did have a feeling things would go well for him in north london but i will reserve all of my gloating for the end of the season um he did <laughs> say though Josie, that <laughs> <laughs> whoa 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 you don't know how bad this gloating gets Greg. Okay, wait, like i say wait until the end of the season there will be a special on tottenham 60 minutes no doubt um the front two of Kane and Son, like Alison says, I think we would all pay to watch them. Jose Mourinho says they're animals. And once again, and they were asked a lot about it after the game, Matt, the link-up between the two of them was something to see. No, absolutely. I mean, you know, Kane's, um, you know, reinventing himself over the last couple of years as the, the. I mean, I wrote about him um, a couple of weeks ago. You know, he's, he's a sort of, is he a nine plus, uh, a mega 10? You know, he, he is sort of all of the above. He's a, you know, supreme finisher, now become a, a just this wonderful drop in the hole sort of playmaker as well. And, you know, with pace in front of him, what's not to love. I mean, I do think, you know, I think Jamie Redknapp talked about it a bit afterwards. I, I do think there is the the flip side to this, which, you know, Spurs fans certainly won't want to hear now and probably don't need to hear now, certainly not for the next season. When you are asking top quality players to work like animals, as Jose says, there may be a limit to how much they ever want to do that. But I, that, I don't think that's going to be this season. You know, I think they're going to work like animals this season because they think they've got a real chance of trophies. And yeah, that could even be um, competing right to the end for the for the big one, um, the title. But I do think, you know, say, I do think there's there comes a point where um, maybe maybe star players um, don't fancy that shift, but uh, I don't think it'll be anytime soon because it's working and and I think you speak to anyone around Spurs like you said the fact is Mourinho has got them buying into his methods because they think it can get them somewhere they haven't been before one thing I'd say to that is even their star players haven't won anything so you know if you go into a club uh, well any club that, that, that Mourinho's gone to before generally some of the players you know you've got big name players but they probably have silverware in their uh, you know in their trophy cabinets and they have experience of winning and if it's a very different if it's a transformation from the way they've been playing in the past that's helped them you know they've won that way then they think why do, why, why do we need to play like this I actually think that's only reserved that only really reserved for a, a very small cohort of players either the ultimate stars you know like you know could you get Neymar to buy into playing this this way of football um, or players like Ahmed Ozil who are increasingly being you know filtered out of the game they're, they're becoming slightly uh irrelevant because you have to every team no matter how you play even if you're playing Arteta's team as much as it's misfiring he has everyone has to buy into how the team plays without the ball so that's modern football but ultimately Spurs 
they just look ominously well organized and drilled and my only thing is if Kane or, or Son are injured, particularly Kane, because Kane is the kind of fulcrum. If Son was injured, they still have some some players who can, you know, they've got the pace and the dynamism and can, and can play off Kane. If Kane's injured, that whole dynamic shifts completely and, and it would be interesting to see how they get around that. Gregor, just as someone who's played, um, how much fun is it? Jamie Redknapp, the former Spurs captain, as Matt said, uh, saying the Spurs players probably aren't having that much fun other than winning matches. I, I was thinking this. I mean, I, I was a defender. So I think you have to, you know, you have to caveat what I'm going to say is I enjoyed being either the left back who was tucked in narrow and, you know, you're, you're, even if you're spending an hour of a game. I love games where you went down to 10 men and you just had to batten down the hatches and grind out a win or a draw. I love those games. Defenders do what it is the the art to what Josie is doing is is as we're saying, getting the rest of the team to buy into it and to do it consistently and you know doggedly. Um, but you know the it, it's making players look better. I mean, you look at uh, Eric Dyer and he's he's got players all around him. It's like a comfort blanket. He's never exposed. Same with Aldevarald, who's who's you know the last couple of years he looks like he's slowed a little bit and he's not been the player we thought he was um, or he was sorry and so they've all they're, they're all kind of compact we, we said it last week Sissoko and Hoiberg dropping in they're all protected they're all defending around their own box that's that's great if you're a defender you think you know we're going to battle every week and if you're, if you're winning it's it, it feels brilliant it's fun but obviously players like Son and Kane and Lochelso and, and Bergwijn if they're getting the goals then it's fun for them too Alison, do you think they're enjoying it other than the results, the style of play? I mean, there were lots of smiles from Harry Kane and Hyung Min Son, especially when you win a North London derby and you get on the score sheet, it's going to be a happy day. Generally speaking, though, taking this football forward, if they play like this all the way through, do they still, still against the likes of Liverpool and Manchester City, hold a chance of winning the title? On the happiness level, you can play football like you're eating eight bowls of cocoa pops over 90 minutes, as opposed to eating a bowl of salty, weak, watery porridge, but supplemented by a very expensive bar of chocolate. And that's what Spurs are. It's weak, watery, nasty porridge, but you get the bonus of a Son Wonder Goal or a masterclass from Harry Kane. And that adds that bit of extra something which they weren't getting before. So what, it's, it's balancing the type of beauty and the type of enjoyment you're getting. And I would say you would, I would rather play in a team where it's stodge and hard work, but you do get that bit of luxury something in every game, almost every game, to make sure you're still in the hunt for trophies. The question of whether they will be at the end of the season, uh I, I agree with Gregor. I mean, but but you can say that's about any team now, and they're all suffering injuries, and they're all having to adapt. I don't I don't think Spurs are a special case in that sense. I think he's got a very big squad. It, he keeps he keeps putting out a B team in Europe and and then slagging them off. But he's got he's, on paper they look good. I mean, it may be that if if um, Harry Kane got injured, Gareth Bale could come in and 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 just be the just be a revelation. He looks very laid back on the bench, but. Maybe maybe that's what would happen. So I think they could. I think they'll definitely be 
definitely be top four finishes. And I think they could win silverware. And that's partly not just they've got a brilliant squad, but because Jose Mourinho, that's his job. That's why he was employed to go there. And I think his pride will mean that he, he does it. He will do it. Whatever it takes, how much porridge it takes, he'll do it. <laughs> Or maybe, um, I don't know, Mikel Arteta needs to have, is is it Shreddies or Weetabix? Whatever one sets you up perfectly <laughs> for the day, other good breakfast cereals are available. Uh, but Mikel Arteta, as Alison already alluded to, was meant to be the saviour of Arsenal. And in many ways, he does need to take a lesson out of Jose Mourinho's book, Gregor, because um, <sighs> pragmatism in terms of your shape uh, and in terms of your team selection, maybe... But in terms of the application of the players, it, it's not there. It hasn't been very sensible of late. No, I mean, I, I, I said this in a piece on Saturday. I think he, he has been pragmatic in that he doesn't want to play three at the back. He doesn't want to play three four three, and and you know that's masking the deficiencies at the back that they have and the defenders they have because the defenders they have aren't good enough. So I think that he has been pragmatic in that, but he's still got players who are indisciplined or. Um, you know, have a moment of madness or Jacko goes around and kicking people, trying to make it look like he cares more than everyone else. Like, I, I still think he doesn't have the players. He doesn't have this, he doesn't have a, a squad as good as Spurs. You know, people, I think it was maybe Redknapp again was saying, there's no difference between these these two teams apart from Son and Kane or play for Spurs. I, I, I don't think that's true. I think, I think Spurs have a better squad than Arsenal now on paper as well. Um, and yes, they have the star quality at the, at the top end of the pitch. And yes, they are set up differently. Um, but Arsenal were, they, they weren't, you know, hiring a manager who was going to play like Jose Mourinho. That was never their, their intention. They want to. And the, and the truth is, you know, we're talking about this, this style and substance. If, if Spurs start losing or Spurs hadn't, I didn't think Spurs were going to do this well. I thought this was going to, I didn't think this was going to be a marriage made in heaven at all. So I, I, I admit I'm wrong. Um, I was wrong on that. But if Spurs start to lose, um, then the grumbles are the grumbles are always more if your team are playing like Mourinho's are, as opposed to playing the football of Pep Guardiola or or, or the football that Arteta wants to be playing. So uh, that doesn't matter just now for Spurs because they're winning. But if they, you know, if they if they start to lose a few games, then people will look at the way they're playing and think, you know. We want to see more expansive football, and that's what our, that's the the position Arsenal are in now because they've they've already tried to change it to be more defensive, and now they're trying to be more expansive, and it's not working. They don't have they don't have the player to to join you know to to bridge the gap between midfield and, and attack. They don't have that creative spark, and they don't have if they're throwing so many crosses into the box, they don't have anyone to get on the end of them. It's not great reading the Premier League table if you're a fan of Arsenal, especially when you see uh, where Tottenham Hotspur are and also Chelsea as well. And speaking of someone who sort of gets in the box and makes a difference, Alison Olivier Giroud, he kept his starting place <laughs> for Chelsea and he scored as well and probably uh, should have had another if it wasn't for Timo Werner's defensive work on the line as well. Yeah, well, I... Uh... The rom we're talking about romance a lot and I think there's one unfolding at, at Stamford Bridge now because um, Olivier Giroud, he's been patient, you know, did all he could against Seville. I think I even suggested in the last podcast I probably wouldn't play him against Leeds because I felt they might scurry around too much for him. And in his post-match, Olivier Giroud actually said it's one of the toughest games he'd faced because he sort of looked around him 
I mean, they'd, they'd left the pitch at that point, but it was as if he could feel them on his shoulder that they, they don't have to work hard and made life difficult for him. And I sort of feel if you can come through the test of hyper energetic leads and still score and still look the part and still have an impact on the game, um, then he can now do anything. I mean, um, he probably needs resting from time to time, but I would I would sincerely hope he gets a lot more uh, starts for his club this season than he did last. I love the idea that scoring one goal against Leeds tells you more than scoring four goals against the Europa League winner Sevilla in the Champions <laughs> League, of course. You know, that's that's the real test, Leeds United at home. Um, it was a good, it was a great weekend for him. Let's hope he goes from strength to strength as well. I think we got an indication during that game that the difference between Tammy Abraham in the box and Olivier Giroud in the box, there was, there is a presence there that I don't think Tammy has as good as a young player he is and, and look, can still improve, of course. But Alison, I wanted to ask you about Liverpool as well. Um, aside from the fact that they had a fantastic win this weekend, really fans returning in the Premier League, um, we got to see the, the cop this weekend without its usual flags um, and banners, but with fans in it once again. And I thought it was one of the great things of the weekend, the noise that we heard inside Anfield. Um you know, it, it felt more so than the games that I've been to and had seen in other leagues um, and in the Premier League as well on Saturday. It felt more like football was back at, at, at Anfield. I don't know how you saw it. Yeah, no, I, um, <laughs> I'm welling up, you can probably see. Uh, I, <laughs> I spent most of the game thinking, will Klopp go to the cop and will he do his normal fist pump and get them cheering or will he feel that it's unfair on those who aren't there or will he be worried that 2000 fans won't be able to make the right noise back at him but he did it and they sounded just as loud as a packed cop would have and um it, it i don't know i suspect when they put together montages of of Klopp's reign that will that will be near the top of it actually and it was very beautiful and the team actually did play like they had a full stadium behind them. They had that effortlessness back and that sense of all things are possible. There was no self-doubt at all. And it just felt like um, they were back being a family again. So it was, and I know I'm utterly biased, but I suspect anybody who loves football who watched that were just really, really chuffed that it felt, it felt like there was a connection again. I'm utterly biased against Liverpool, Alison, as you know, but and I often get a lot of stick. I often get a lot of stick from people for saying, for, for example, I put on social media what a privilege it was to be at Anfield. This was during lockdown and there were no fans inside the stadium, to which a lot of Manchester United fans were very unhappy with me. And every time I go on air and talk about what a great place it is when there are fans in a full stadium, I also get a lot of stick as a, as a Manchester United fan, but you can't deny it, unfortunately. And uh, <laughs> yeah, for me, it was one of the, it was one of the great things to see this weekend as well. Um, fans returning in many places, maybe not as cheerfully elsewhere. Millwall's fans in the championship this weekend, hitting the headlines with what was clearly, I think, an orchestrated booing of their players and the players of Derby County taking a knee. Um, now, I think we've seen on social media and elsewhere Millwall fans claiming it was a stand against the anti-Marxist, uh, riotous looters that want to defund the police, end capitalism, and my particular favourite, end the family structure as a unit. I, I don't know how they're going to do that one. Um, I'm talking about Black Lives Matter for those people who are unaware. 
Um, now, of course, Black Lives Matter didn't come up with taking the knee. We've seen it in sport, of course, Colin Kaepernick in American football, and it's it's transcended. It's gone throughout sport uh, across the world. And we saw during the summer the EFL and the Premier League distance themselves from Black Lives Matter, remove it from players' shirts as well, due to some of the um, more controversial comments that have been made and, and I think the formation of a political organisation called Black Lives Matter. But players continue to take the knee um, in support of ending discrimination in sport, generally speaking, and racism as well, of course. Um, Millwall's players did put a statement out before the game against Derby uh, explaining it had nothing to do with any political messaging or ideology. And they've been pretty explicit on that one. Um but all of that, I think, fell on deaf ears to the Millwall fans because clearly, as players from Millwall and Derby um, went down to to take a knee, they were strongly booed, even though they made very clear that it was against racial and social injustice. And of course, the reaction, the backlash has been very strong, um, but it has led to a debate. Interestingly, I think, on these ones, um, you know, the Millwall fans, those players that booed and, and people that backed them on social media, at least were so supportive of the freedom of speech element. You know, it's our right to make whatever stance we want if that's what we want to do. Except, of course, if you're one of the players on the pitch taking a knee and then, of course, you, you shouldn't be allowed to, to voice your freedom of speech. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's an interesting topic for us to discuss nonetheless. Matt, do you think it was racist? I think a lot of people were arguing about whether it was a racist act or not. Uh, it's Well, put this way, it's... Um you know, my immediate reaction, like a lot of, I would say, um, well-meaning and right-minded people was shock and dismay and, well, I have to go further than that. So abhorrence, to be honest, it, it, you know, we can talk all, well, they can talk all they like about, you know, the BLM's connections with a political movement, but we know that those players at that time were making a simple stance against racism that you know there was no there is nothing more complicated in taking the knee than that and if you want to object to someone uh taking a stance against racism then you know that's that's a pretty depressing state of affairs i i find it depressing from so many points of view i mean you see the reaction on whether it's social media i, I would say you know sadly even the reaction on, you know, when we write about this sometimes on Times comments, um, you know, that it, it becomes this hugely polarised debate about sort of wokeness and, um, you know, that we, we don't end up having a discussion about what are we doing about racism. We end up having, say, an increasingly fraught, polarised debate about, you know, how, how dare these players do this, how, you know, how... Some people feel like they have to sort of stand up against wokeness, against um, this sort of campaigning as if they're, uh, yeah, well, I, I'm not quite sure why there is the need to take that stance, you know, as the same way as why on earth is there the need to, to boo what was intended as, as a simple anti-racism display at the weekend. And it's that polarization that I find you know, I know going into social media is not reflective a lot of the time of, of, of a lot of the world, but that polarisation, I just find scary, to be, to be frank. It's easy for us to, to sit here and say we're appalled by it, but it do, I don't think that helps anyone or anything or any movement. I think you have to think about why they did it. 
And I think there are a lot of disenfranchised young white men who are angry at the attention that one issue, they see it as one issue, which is racism, gets lots of attention and their lives are rubbish and it's not fair. And they, 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 I think they need, if they're angry, if they're angry enough to boo something which is arguably um, inarguable, that, that all, all those players are doing, if you ask any player why are they taking the knee, they, they say, oh, it's not a political thing. We just, we, just, we just think we have an obligation that when people watch a football match, they're reminded about inequality and we can start conversations. And also we want to show that we are all in this together and that if we're white, we, we, have, we have black teammates and we want to show them that we, we, we care about the issues they face. It's about unity. Um, and it's not, we're not trying to be divisive at all. It's just about raising an issue and hoping we can all show support for one another. But that's, that's an intelligent, rational approach. But there are people who, who go to, who've, who've been denied their shouting at a football match since March, who have been have pent up issues, uh, you know, unemployment, um, not knowing what their future holds, and their only their only way of showing what they feel is at a, that's always been the case is to is to unload at a football match, and they've gone there and they've probably all riled each other up into believing that taking the knee is politicised and against them. So what you have to do as Millwall is you just have to educate and you have to say, this is not against you, our supporters, our core supporters. It is, it is for all of us. Please do not do this because this is, this is what we represent as a club. And we will, they can't take, you can't, you can't, um, you can't deny entry to a fan who wants to boo. I mean, how would you feel if the Millwall fans had all booed a player who'd refused to take the knee? There'd be a different debate, but it would be similar, wouldn't it? It would be about your right to show your disapproval of someone's political beliefs. You just All you have to do is dialogue rather than say you're appalled by it because there's a reason behind it. I don't think it's necessarily purely racist. I think people feel disenfranchised and it's, it's a sort of crude way of letting the world know that they're angry. I maybe agree with you that maybe not everyone's motivation is racism, but I do believe that the act of booing something that is anti-racist you know, if you're going to be negative about something that is anti-racist, it's by definition probably racist. Um, and I wonder whether they they had put that level of thought into it, whether they thought, how will this be seen? I'm not sure whether it was all about, let's just voice our displeasure. Um, but look, it's an interesting one because I would say, how can you really, as Millwall fans, if you genuinely do believe about this, change the, the conversation by booing the players taking a knee as opposed to, getting your message in through the club to the players by voicing your concerns directly to them and saying, we'd, we'd rather you didn't, uh, maybe they have already. Um, but I, they didn't leave themselves with much room to have an, uh, you know, a nuanced conversation about it by immediately booing players of Derby County and, and uh, their own team Millwall. So it's, it's a tough one. I understand what you're saying about the various factors that are going on in people's lives. And maybe that went into, their decisions, but I still find it hard to say that it wasn't a racist act because, you know, if someone was in front of me and they were against sexism and I was saying, no, 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 I don't want to hear from you. I don't want to hear what you have to say. You know, it's whatever my motivations are. If I'm, you know, that it's almost like I'm pro-sexism then. And that's what, and that's how it felt. <laughs> do, you know, do you understand what I'm saying? That's how it felt, whether the, whether there was a thought process behind it or not. You know, if you want to close down that conversation, then you're against it. 
you know, in my opinion, it's just an opinion. Obviously, everything you're saying is it makes perfect sense. But but, but we're dealing with people who maybe don't don't think things through in a perfect sense sort of way. I think the problem is that the players explicitly said that it wasn't, you know, not to conflate these issues. It's just very sad that that's happened. It's Black Lives Matter's kind of movement or making this this uh, you know taking the knee is being sucked into a political debate that's you know it's almost like i think it's almost like a get out clause for some people to kind of who who are racist just to to you know voice their 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 hatred of this almost um and there's other people who you know it's 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 very layered and i think that it, i just think it's i just think it's very sad that it's kind of that that this this uh, what, what the players have, have explicitly said that this is not anything to you know. I don't know any footballers who know anything about Karl Marx, um, you know, I, who or who are on the, the far left of the political spectrum. Um, so, I, you know, I think we can safely say that. And the, the players made it clear. That's the thing we have to we have to we have to state. So, Millwall fans have chosen to ignore what the players said. And still boo it. And I just hate. I hate the act of. I hate. I hate the act of booing. But anyway, I mean, even if you disagree, even if you disagree with it, you don't have to boo it. You know, I think there's a place to debate where the the gesture is going. What's be what happens beyond it? I think you know, Les Ferdinand uh, and and QPR started that by saying they weren't going to be taking the knee. I mean, this is a club that's done more than most for. Um, uh, I think for for equality and opportunity, but yeah, they said that there is needs there does need to be a discussion about you know is this indefinite? Is, is it still having the same impact? Um, you know, are are what what more are we doing in the game other than you know showing this uh, on a Saturday afternoon? And I think that is a very important debate, and we do have to look you know beyond the knee is is absolutely vital but i i yeah i still when you come back to it yeah i still just you know that that, that noise only <laughs> that noise only said one thing to me and it was pretty unpleasant but do you not do you not feel it's worth giving them another chance i know i know the players said that this wasn't a political thing but i i, I still think the there was this overwhelming sense of we're back this is our first game back and it was almost irresistible for Millwall fans not to just feel they wanted their voice heard. If the club did not, why doesn't the club just say to them, okay, look what, look at the effect that your booing has had. You are now being tarred as racist. And that means you are, you are insulting everyone of colour who's worked for this club behind the scenes or on the pitch. Is that really what you want to do? And if you if you boo taking the knee again, we will we will deem that you are you are you are being racist, whether you you were claiming it or not. And if they do it again, then 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 we can all we can all we can all lay in on them. I just think it was no, a perfect Alice, storm Alice, of coming you, coming coming back and being angry about things that we don't want them to be angry about. But if you go on, I would say I, I'm always loath to sort of quote social media as if that's any sort of forum for for common sense. But if you, I, you know, I did scan a few of the posts that were on, and then you go underneath, and there are dozens, if not hundreds, you know, maybe maybe thousands, for all I know, of of people defending Millwall fans going very actively on defending the booing, saying you know, defending whatever stance it came from, saying you know, we're not going to have this shoved down our throats, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, it's it's you know, it was 
it was done, you know, deliberately, consciously, you know, people wanted to stick two fingers up. And as you say, they maybe some people can rationalize that for whatever, whatever reasons. But I, I don't think we can say it was a sort of, you know, just a sort of spontaneous sort of, you know, rejection of something. It was very deliberate. It's been sort of supported by many fans who were either there or would love to have been there. And, you know, uh, as you say, maybe there's a, a a place to examine the forces behind it equally. I, I, I think it, it can be sort of condemned without really without too much tippy-tapping around it as well, I think. But we can, but, but if you condemn, absolutely. But you, for every for every action, there has to be, you have to learn from it and grow from it. But because you cannot, you cannot prosecute for racism in this instance, they haven't done anything illegal. So how, how do we move this on by just saying, we believe they were being racist, we believe they, it was a, a concerted effort to be racist, and we we are we're appalled. Why why not use it as a starting point to try and differentiate out the different reasons for the anger there? I think you can. Uh, you was mentioned it before. I think you release a statement much more along the lines of the one that the Colchester chairman did, which was laying out. He even had discussions with one of his players about where this where his feelings stem from and why he feels it's important to take the knee. And you really relay that from someone who you know as a position of power in the club you make it clear why why the players are doing it and why the club is supporting supportive of that and he's even said that he wants them to to applaud when the players do it next so uh, you know there might be some cynical part of you says that makes it easier you wouldn't hear the booze if there was applause but he's making the club's position very very clear and Millwall I'm not sure they've really done that Millwall have come out and said we we do a lot of good stuff and you're tarnishing that they're not saying the players, this is why the players are doing it and we support them. And if you're not going to support them, then don't come to our club. That's what they should be saying. Yes, well, I agree. I agree with that completely. I, I agree. Let's, let's, let's take it. Let's take it as something that happened. And if you can educate those fans into seeing what that it doesn't, they, they, they haven't got the get out clause of saying that, that they were being uh, against a political movement. The, some, some, some people need to have to just be shown it very clearly that, 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 that what they I believe. I don't think you frame it as education though either, because a lot of people will not take that well. I think you just lay out, you make the point very clear why this is happening and why the club are supporting it. If you choose not to do so, then they won't come. Yeah, no, I would support that. I would support that. But listen, I think I, I think it, it, you, you have to use it, don't we? Don't, Hugh, don't you think you have to use the fact that it happened to concentrate the debate again, so that because this is this is a new phase of football, isn't it? The fans are coming back. One of the things that we saw, of, you know, we, we do too easily is to say people need education and they they need to learn from this, as if they had no idea before. You know, people, let's be honest, they know that then they know the ins and outs of it. You know, it's not like one group, one football team in the country has fans who have absolutely no idea what's going on. And the other football clubs, you know, like all of the people who have no idea what racism or discrimination or taking the knee means to support Millwall, you know, as a massive coincidence. Of course, they know the ins and outs of it as much as fans of any other club do, but they choose, they have chosen to, to get together to make that decision. Um, 
And if you don't think it's along lines of race or xenophobia or anything like that, then like I agree with you. You do have to ask about the motivation for it. Um, but you can't say that the things that afflict Millwall fans socio socially or economically don't affect fans of other football clubs because they, they do. So whatever is happening at Millwall is not a unique circumstance at a football club or uh, within a group of football fans. No, I was just thinking about how we, res- how, how well we, how the game responds, how, the, how particularly how you know if I was a a black player at, at Millwall would respond, or or Queen Park, Queen's Park Rangers for that matter, which is which is who they play next. I mean, I saw you know there's a really interesting piece from from Darren Lewis, uh, one of our colleagues in in the Mirror, talking about you know whether as a player you'd walk off. Um, you know, is that is that is that what's left? And you think, well, you know, okay, if we, you know, if we talk about, you know, we've had debated and yeah, you know, whether players, you know, if they have walked off. Um, obviously, there's you know, UEFA brought in these steps of of different things, but you know, in in the face of racist abuse, it is one of the measures that a game is either halted or you know, there's warnings to the crowd. Players walk off now. You know, if we are thinking there is, you know, there is racism behind that noise. Um, whether from all or you know some, then is that the territory we're in now, where where players walk off? It's a, it's it's a fair question to ask, and I, I'm really intrigued to think of what discussions might be going on privately between the black players of of Millwall and Q, QPR and the director level and so on about what might happen. I mean, uh, look, my my I tried to write a piece on this for the Times, and I genuinely wrote about four different articles, none of which I thought was any good, or no one would want to read in the Times anyway. Um, the general thrust of which, you know, my personal view is I wouldn't have wanted to play if I was certainly one of Millwall's players. Um, and I, I also wondered whether the context of Derby County season meant they just carried on as well, because, of course, they're in vital need of points at the moment, uh, having been at the bottom of the table and whether their decision making might have been different if they were towards the top of the table. Um, what I hate, I've got to say, is people using uh, Les Ferdinand's views um, and QPR's decision not to take the knee is like this, the standard. I mean, we have this a lot, sort of black people who speak about things becoming the rule. You know, it happens a lot with John Barnes, for example. You know, um, he says something about race and suddenly everyone turns around and says, see, John Barnes said it. This must be fine because, you know, and it, it strangely, Les Ferdinand's statement was about making and doing something more than taking a knee. He wasn't trying to get rid of taking the knee because he thought it was pointless. He was saying people in football need to do more than a gesture. They need to do more than this. Um, He also didn't have a problem with other people continuing to take a knee, clearly. Um, He wasn't saying we should all stop doing it. He was really asking what more can we do? But there you go. Um, I think one of the things that I think was... And painful was Millwall's statement. I mean, it was, they didn't mention the word black or race or racism at all in their statement. They didn't say anything about their fans potentially coming back to the game. And as Greg has already said, there were boos at Colchester. I think there were some mutterings as well, some some murmurs at um, West Ham United as well. Um, but Colchester, you know, put out a very strong statement this morning saying, if you're going to boo, don't come back. And if you want a refund on your season ticket, let us know. And that, and that was and that. Was that. Um, and it would have been, I think, a stronger sign for Millwall to have done that. that I, it, to be honest, it sounded like at Millwall, no one wanted to alienate their fans. You know, the, pre, the post-match comments from Gary Rowett, the manager, were very much 
tiptoeing around the issue um, for me. Never really got to the heart of it. Never really seemed to have an understanding of what really the issue was. So, you know, his comments for me were were poor. The statement matched up with that as well. Um, I I don't like the idea that people seem to be making out at the moment that the players are forced to take a knee. They're not. As you saw Colin Kazim Richards playing for Derby County in that stadium, who is black, not take a knee. Um, He feels it's better to, to stand and raise a fist. No one is making anyone take a knee. Um, and, and those are the comments that sort of, they're not, they're not hurtful. They're, you know, it's not um, that people have to do anything, but it just shows a lack of understanding, I think, that, you know, it's not just football fans, you know, listening to the radio this morning. There's a lot of, there's almost an idea that players are forced into doing it. I don't know, maybe they are. Maybe you guys have spoken to players that do feel they're forced to take a knee. And of course, irony is dead when it comes to Millwall fans as well on this, because, the actions of a few associated with Black Lives Matter um, have suddenly become the actions of everyone who says the words Black Lives Matter. But of course, the Millwall fans who were chanting racist abuse against Everton in the FA Cup last year, no, no, that's not Millwall fans. You know, that is a small section of us. Don't tar all Millwall fans with the actions of a few. But of course, when it comes to Black Lives Matter or anything to do with race, of course, that is the view of of everyone. And um yeah, I, I think it was just a sad day for football personally, but there you go. Gregor? I think you've summed up there very eloquently. I mean, I would say that, you know, we shouldn't jump on Gary Rowett because you're, you're, I have a microphone thrust upon you and you're trying to, you know, navigate what is a complex and difficult issue. And I know you, you could have been stronger. And, but I would say that undoubtedly the statement could have been stronger. And they, as you said, they had nearly 24 hours to, think about how it was going to be phrased and what they were going to say. And I felt that was quite defensive, whereas as the Colchester owners was on the front foot. And it actually was positive. It laid out all the good things about what had happened that day about fans returning and having, you know, this is a step forward and you were great supporting the team and everything. This is all good. But I'm not happy about this. We've had this I've had these discussions with the players. This is why they're doing it. We, I support that. The club supports that. If you come to support the club, you should support that. And if you don't, then I, I'd rather you didn't come, basically. I think that really, it was in what is quite a complex, you know, a difficult thing to navigate. I think that should be the position of, of football clubs at the moment because the players, as you say, it's their choice. It was their choice on day one when they did it. And it's still their choice ultimately now, I think. Perhaps there are some who have been, you know, thinking, when is this going to end? I don't know. It is, it is an interesting discussion, maybe one for another day because... Oh no, that was uh, my next question actually. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, because ultimately, let's, uh, from my point of view, and you could tell me if I'm wrong here because I, there's a very good chance I will be, it has been diluted a bit and uh, what, what you really notice about it now is almost every week someone forgets and runs off when the referee blows the whistle or... Uh, or when we hear this or something negative associated with it, it brings up the debate again. I, I, I complete. It's just. It's just. I remember the first time that happened and being going, "Wow, you know, this was that was really impactful," and it doesn't feel like that way for me now. Um, but I, I still have no problem whatsoever with <laughs> with it happening, and and it's the player's choice. Um, and I'd be completely open to hearing the views of others as to why they feel it's still important to do it and. And rather than having an end game in sight and having a, um, you know, knowing what steps are being taken, actually, as as people have said, to to enact change that we will kind of 
feel is tangible and, and recognizable. That is that is obviously the most important thing, and I, and so I don't know. Over to you guys. Well, that's I just think that that question you ask. I mean, that's why I come back to that point about tomorrow night. Because the more you think about it, the more you think there 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 chances are there are going to be some people turning up who sadly are feeling like the attention is going to be on them. It's going to, you know it's, it's a lot of people are talking about it, and they're going to. I, I fear some people will sort of revel in you know we've seen it before at Millwall. Let's be frank you know, potentially revel in that notoriety. Uh, and therefore, you know, the, <laughs> there'll be even more focus on that. And that's say that's where I, I'm really intrigued about how, you know, the, the clubs, both clubs, sets of players respond to that. And not as a news, you know, I mean, it will make news, but as a, where is this helping? Where is this taking? What use can come of it? Um yeah, Alison mentioned about education. Then is 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 any of this going to prove educational, or is it back to the point I made right at the start of just actually it's just sort of you know pushes uh, polarization of of some people. Uh, I'm asking questions here, not answering them to be honest. But I just find sort of a certain amount of dread going into tomorrow night, thinking thinking about any of it. Ali Kane said, you know, if if somebody's taking their child to a game for the first time and the child asks. Why, why is this happening? And you explain it to your to your child. That's you know, he said that recently. That's that's perhaps a, a valid view. But I'm I just don't know what the what do you feel here? Look, there's part of me that wants to stick two fingers up and say keep it going forever for all the people that want to boo, and I'd I'd kneel in their faces as long as they're booing me. If I was a player, to be perfectly honest, I'd want to do it for the rest of my career. But um, but I'm not. So I don't know. And it's not that I have a particular backing of Black Lives Matter. It's more, like I say, just to put two fingers up and maybe that dilutes it as well. It can't last forever. I know a lot of people are making reference to the clap for carers that happened on a Thursday night as well and us showing gratitude to the NHS. And, and these things must come to a natural end as well. But I do think when you take the knee before the game, I know it sounds weird. It's, it does more than the, the Tannoy announcement saying, it's a game for everyone. Please don't abuse the players today. It is a, a small, short moment where the crowd goes quiet and everyone is just reminded um, not to abuse anyone today. You know, and, you know, in that regard, I think it's much more powerful than the, the signs that we have around the ground or the, the email or text that you get pre-matched to, to remind you to behave. Um, and like you say, for young people, just to ask the question, why, why are the players doing it? Um, but, but, Interestingly, the explanations are going to be different. The answers to that question are going to be different. If I go to Millwall with my dad, he's probably not going to say, you know, what I would say to, to my child if I took them to the football and what it means. Um, and I think if it's going to continue, there needs to be more probably education on, on what it means, even though, yeah, education might not be the right word, but there needs to be better understanding how we get there is probably education. Um, but Alison, do you think it should end soon? How on earth do you end it unless you end it? formally you can't have it sort of trickling out with one or two players deciding is oh, should we now do it or not do it and you can't let it sort of die a death slowly I mean that 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 would lead to all sorts of problems and people being accused of things that they you know that weren't true are you just getting bored of races a fight against racism so that's, that's I think happened the only well, yes, but I think the, it was a Coventry v QPR, was it? Was, I can't remember. One team didn't, and then the other was, you know, there was some disagreement about why that didn't happen. And you've got to, the two teams have got to agree beforehand now in the EFL, yes. certainly. Yes, yes, you can't, it can't, it can't look like oh, we're just getting bored of this as a 
as an issue. But then the alternative is that you decide at a point in the season, whether it's the end of the season, that you say, this is not something that's going to happen now. But then you'd have to say, why not? And then you'd have to list the reasons, the progress that has been made. How you quantify that, I have no idea. How, how as football, you can say, we feel we've made strides in the right direction in combating racism, both in football and in the wider society. They'll, they'll not be able to say that. So it's... It's it's really it's really difficult to know how, how to end it at the right point so that it doesn't look like it's just petered out and people don't care when they clearly do care. Maybe you have to come up with something that replaces it, refresh it, so that you have the dialogue going again, that you have the wow moment again at the start of, of football when you know even the commentator wasn't expecting it and it felt goosebump moment that. You know, at last football was taking a, a sensible political approach to a big, big problem in the game. Maybe that is the only answer that you end the taking of the knee, but you bring in something that allows the conversation to continue. I, I don't know what that would be. It's a big question. I think football's going to have to answer over the coming uh, weeks and months as well. Plenty for us still to discuss, though, on the game podcast today. But a reminder, if you do enjoy it, the podcast, that is, give us a five star rating. No other things. Those of you with your minds in the gutter, give us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts, uh, whichever you use. You should never say it willy nilly, to be honest. And make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss the next episode. Uh, To enjoy more of our award winning sports journalism, subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times today. You'll get yourself one month free. Just search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game when you go online. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs, no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss now more debates for us on the game podcast as well things that we don't like to see in football to keep that theme going as well we, we never like to see ch- what we might perceive as cheating in football we hate diving for example there were a couple at the weekend can't believe they weren't given at yellow cards but by the way we should note the other day a yellow card was given for diving in the Premier League so the refs are back apparently at the moment but at the weekend there could have been a player Ian Pervader uh, for Leeds against Chelsea could have gone down 
a little flick of the boot from Ben Chilwell could have gone down, won his team a penalty, decided to stay on his feet. A lot of people happy with him. Mm, if I was a Leeds fan, I wouldn't be too sure about that. And also John Egan, the Sheffield United defender, last minute of the game. Jamie Vardy races through on goal. He's got a choice to make. Take him out, get a point, or allow him to go through and in the end score the goal that won Leicester the match. I know what I would have done in both situations, but maybe that says more about me than it does about anything else. How much, though, is gamesmanship slash cheating okay in the game? And what would you have done in those two scenarios? There might be a bit of debate on this. Like I say, Gregor, I'll start with you. (laughs) John Egan's, I think I would have taken him out. In fact, I have taken a player out like that. So <laughs> I saw that. I saw red. I think there was like I think there was even maybe ten minutes to go it's against Sunderland, and uh, I remember walking back in the tunnel just like with my eyes closed, and Julio Arca taking a free kick, and I think he hit the bar. I was like, Phew. got away with it, but we didn't. They scored in the ninety somethingth minute and won. So anyway, um, yes, when your a player's running through like that, it's quite hard. You know, you've got you're you're calculating a lot of different uh, things in in split second you know you do you want to miss three games is that important in the in the context of the the rest of the running uh, you might miss you, there's a lot of calculations going on in your head but ultimately I think with Jamie Vardy's running through and it is genuinely an injury time yeah take him out so that's that one um the Pavada thing, I'm, I'm just—I I can't give you an answer. I'm so conflicted about it. I feel like I'm glad he didn't go down, but at the same time, he's stupid not to go down because it is true that if he goes down, the likelihood is he'll get a penalty, even if it's a delayed reaction nowadays. It's just—it's just almost admitting the fact that the contacts you made, and I would like you to make the decision for me. I don't want to continue with this this chance, and you know take the shot a weekly foot shot as he did so you're basically saying to the referee make the decision make the decision for me um and that is modern football and so while I, I wish it wasn't so i'm afraid he was daft not to go down two yeses from gregor robertson on this <laughs> long-winded yeses Cheetah. <laughs> uh, alison what, what 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 would you have done we're now saying that that horrible thing known as VAR should now be part of um, tactics and pre-match discussion and in a player's head when he decides whether or not... Because before VAR, there's no way we'd be, we would be having this discussion because the, the contact was so slight that the player would think, well, you know, there's every chance I'll just get booked for diving or the referee won't see it. I mean, why is the referee going to see something so so minuscule? But now, are we saying that players should be going into a game thinking, well, if anybody touches me, that will be shown on a replay 16 times. Someone's going to see contact. I'm going to get the penalty. So if I'm touched, my instinct should be not to keep going because there's no need for me to fall down because I'm not unbalanced. I can still see sight of goal. I would love to score a wonder goal. But my instinct should be because of review after review after review, 
I will get a penalty, which means that VAR is not only sort of retrospectively ruining the game, it's ruining the game before you've even kicked off. This is a disgraceful discussion. <laughs> it's professional sport. This happens in a in a raft of different sports. You know, the technology, the timeouts, whatever they give you, you should use to your advantage. We see NFL players running through and, and stopping at the line instead of scoring an actual touchdown because they know that, that if they get a, a three more attempts or four more attempts to score a touchdown, they can just run the clock down and still score from one yard out which is exactly what they do so uh, look you've got to use the advantages in front of you like on Gregor's point on the calculations that you make well John Egan made a load of calculations because he actually puts his arms up to show the referee that he isn't going to foul Jamie Vardy you know I'm sitting there as a Sheffield United player saying we've barely got any points all season we've got the chance of a draw against Leicester no one cares if you play the next three games to be perfectly honest even though they've got injuries at the moment because points are more important than look the next three games will have 11 Let's put it that way. We'll have 10 for about 30 seconds and we'll probably get a point against Leicester. You know, th- those are the calculations in professional sport that you need to make. You need to do what's best for the club, for the team, for the organisation rather than yourself. And and in terms of dark going down, if, you're gonna, if they're going to bring in technology that makes it really easy to get a penalty, well, then you, you've got to use it. But Hugh, Hugh, you say you say professional sport. I, I, ran, I ran the line in the, in a, on a park pitch yesterday. And, and it never ceases to amaze me. Like, you know, someone kicks the ball out and they appeal for the throwing all the bloody time. I mean, it's just, it's, it's sort of instinct. I don't know what age it tip, that sort of moment tips in. But yeah, you know, you say you're playing a part game. It, you know, who gives a stuff apart from you, whether you win it or not, is, you know, it, it, is, it is nothing in the world. And yet you, you know, you're appealing for absolutely everything even though you know full well it is nothing to do with you that that um and that's what leads to gregor's awful cynicism about uh when it when it comes to uh, exploiting it now i will just make um one point on um because alison and i obviously can't be on a podcast without arguing about VAR for at least um 30 seconds but the this is having spoken to uh uh, Mr. Ellery, um, who is responsible for all ills in the world, according to uh, to some, but he uh, on that pervader thing, a lot of people made the comparison with the uh, the Welbeck incident, obviously, and you know that the slightest contact leading to a penalty, and he basically made the point that this is where we're going wrong with our, and I think all of us would agree. I think most people would agree. The whole point is it is not meant to pick up these minuscule touches and be re-refereed. That is where the system has gone wrong is failing it's it's meant to be clear and obvious and if we are having to look at 10 10 replays then that's not when it should be used so it's maybe changed the game though well yeah but you can change it back i mean the fact I'm is sure. you know you don't have to you know well it's absolutely it's ultimately up to a referee to decide is that a penalty or not and he can you know habits change Guidance changes the way we referee changes, and if if uh, yeah, we can we can head back to a world where small touches are not given, and and we should. But all you're doing, all you're doing is <laughs> is letting a man a man in a in 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 a box decide. Make he then makes the decision whether it was a clear and obvious mistake. It's just one other person making that decision. Or even worse, Ridiculous. It, sends, even worse, he sends them to a screen which adds pressure and basically says. I think you've got to give this. Or, or I, I don't see how the screen, because, how does the well, screen well, add pressure? Well, let's look at the, the, the West Bromwich Albion Pereira sending off. That was nothing. 
absolutely nothing about the Look fact up. that he went the fact that he went no chance the fact that he went to the screen almost you know doomed him it was like you look at this, you'll see it in slow motion several times. His, his foot kind of pushed up about six inches. And that was a red card. And it, Deliberate it, movement. I mean, it was like it was like a fractional movement. It, people, you, could not, you could not say that was a red card. It's the kind of thing that people miss. I've uh, seen completely. Patrick Vieira get sent off for an air kick against Ruud van Nistelrooy 20 years ago, mate. So if football's changed since then... I'm sorry, if the motion towards the player, Hyungmin Son's you've been sent off for the same thing as well. It's not the same. Hyungmin Son did a backflip like towards him. This was like <laughs> a, this was like his studs moved about three inches. Uh it was I thought that was embarrassing. He could have almost been saying he was protecting himself at first. He could have, the guy was a bit, might have fallen on him. They discussed this in match of the day two last night and it was quite good. I, you know, just there's no human touch anymore in, in refereeing. And I know this is we, they said we've all this is we're all sort of partly to blame for this. This is the route down down which we kind of want to travel for so long, but it's gone to an extreme that is just I, I think it's changed the game and not for the better. How can you have somebody watching on a monitor at Stockley Park who sees um, a mistake, an error? He sees it as a fact on his screen, but then has to think, I'm not sure how clear and obvious. This is it, it, those those two things are impossible to have running at the same time. It, it's so David Clearly Ellery can say that, but he's he's, cre- he's created he's created a philosophical nightmare. You can't say, oh, I've seen, I've seen, I've seen contact, I've seen contact where the referee did not see contact, but it wasn't clear and obvious contact. That is purely one individual's interpretation of it. Yeah, but that's refereeing. Refereeing always will be one individual's interpretation. That's the point. That's what we got to get back to, and have you know, referees have to have the confidence to, to. Yeah, to, to bring their subjective view to it. That's the point. We, we can't be chasing this sort of... Um, they can't be chasing the perfection or the the minuscule touch. It has to be the subjectivity, more subjectivity has to return and how much we love that. Can we just quickly highlight as well um, that yet again, a player dived, a penalty was given, the penalty was rescinded and the player wasn't booked, Conor Cody. I just don't know what, what players have to do now to get booked for diving. It was the most blatant thing. He went over to the monitor, he changed it. Against Palace, should have got... Yeah, I mean, it wasn't quite diving. as blatant, but it was a dive. I mean, what what do you have to do nowadays to get booked for diving? There's like a grey area that like it's impossible. The referee changes one thing. Hang on, Greg, you're 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 the cynical old pro who said that these guys should be you know hacking down Jamie Vardy and if you feel the contact, if you feel the contact. I have to ask because I want a sense of everyone's moral compass on the show today. Me and Gregor, we've already thrown ourselves under the bus. Matt Dickinson, if you're Pervader, do you dive? Absolutely not. I'm an upstanding member of society. <laughs> and uh, yeah. If you're John Egan, do you take Jamie Vardy out and get Sheffield United a point? Uh, yeah, there's no way I'm catching Jamie Vardy. He, um, there was no way John Egan was going to catch Jamie Vardy. Um, so don't you don't um, have to feel shame for that. I'm coming over. My, I'm doing my full Willie Young on Paul Allen, wherever it was in the uh, was it a 1980 Cup final? Yeah, that was uh, that that was the mo- that was that was the greatest professional fail of all time, wasn't it? Poor guy, poor guy, 17 years old. Um, Alison, always stay on my feet if I can stay on my feet. Mm-hmm. And always. if you're John Egan, oh, take him out. Completely different set of circumstances. <laughs> 
I see. So so it's good to know, you know, all of us would have at least taken Jamie Vardy out. Nothing personal against Jamie, but we just want that <laughs> he point. He took the flag out. <laughs> That's true, exactly. I, look, I wouldn't have hurt him. All it needed was a little trip. You know, there's no need to hurt the guy. Um, but there you go. That sums up the moral compass of the game podcast and all of its contributors. Uh, thank you for listening today. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, plenty more to come on Thursday as well. We'll see if Manchester United can take themselves through to the knockout stages in the Champions League. And I'm sure we'll get a response to our question about QPR versus Millwall too. And my thanks to Matt Dickinson, Alison Rudd and Gregor Robertson for being with me today. But a reminder, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times for more of the latest news from the footballing world and read uh, Alison's fantastic article about Jose Mourinho and the romance in North London at the moment as well. Just go online, search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game and you'll get yourself one month free. helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.